Well, we're wrapping up our series this morning on I Choose, and if you came back after last week, that's good because uh, we're going to take a, a little step up higher and, and talk a little bit more. We talked about I Choose Faith Over Feelings last week, and uh, nobody got up and left and threw anything at me, so everybody must be doing okay. Glad with that, and uh, had some good responses back on that, and um, I, I'm here to tell you, again, we have feelings. God uh, blessed us with feelings, but our, our feelings are not what drives us. Feelings should not be what leads us. Our feelings are just a part of our life to, to have some vibrancy and to have emotion that's poured in so that we can interact with each other. But when we let our emotions take over, uh, it can swing either too far or not far enough, and we end up with a, a bad place to be. And um, we're going to talk about a, a really lovely topic this morning that may make you wince just a little bit, but we're going to talk about holiness this morning. Now, before you start thinking, oh boy, here we go. It may not be what you think, but it's definitely not what the world thinks. And so I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie Goonies. Um, funny movie. But there's this one scene I was thinking about in there, and... Um, one of the kids on there, he's a little tubby, funny kid, and he had just come back from the dentist's office, and one of his friends asked him, well, you're at the dentist again? And he said, he's like, yeah, the, the, the dentist says he wants to, wants to uh, do a, uh, an experiment on my saliva because I've got so many cavities, and all the while he's shoving Twinkies into his face, you know? And he's like, they can't figure out why my teeth are getting so bad, and, and the reality is erosion, Now, we say cavities, but really it's, it's an act of erosion. And if you've ever seen a sinkhole, it's an act of erosion. If you've ever seen part of a road washout, it's an act of erosion. And erosion at its base is just the gradual and often unseen eating away or deterioration gradually of an object. And you don't see it at first. And so a, a stream is, is getting stronger and stronger. And the stronger the current, the deeper the water, the greater the erosion that takes place. And you can drive on it for a while, but it's slowly eating away underneath the road. It's slowly eating the soil underneath the house. And all of a sudden, blam, a sinkhole forms. And you didn't see it. You didn't expect it. And that's the danger of erosion. And, and can I just start off this morning by telling you we're at a point in our country where we have morality has been eroded gradually over time. Now, are we still a great nation? Yes. Are we still a great people? Yes. But at sooner or later, just like when you go to the dentist, and I don't know about you, but I hate the dentist. You know, I mean, I don't like people all up in my face, and then it seems so hypocritical that th the first thing they tell me is, you shouldn't pick at your teeth with any sharp metal object, and you go to the dentist, and what's the first thing they grab? A metal hook, right? And what do they do? They start scraping your teeth. It's like, now you tell me not to do this all the time. But you know what's amazing? Just a little science blurb is that we have uh, enamel and a substance called dentin, in our teeth that are actually harder than bone. But amazingly, the sugars that we consume 
grow bacteria, and that plaque becomes acid, and over time, it's not in one day, it's probably not even in one year, but over time, if we don't routinely get a checkup, if we don't stop the erosion, pretty soon our teeth will be decayed, and then something happens. They either have to pull that tooth, or we fill that tooth. In some cases, it breaks off, and then they put a artificial tooth called a crown on top of it. Not only is it costly and painful and has to be repaired, but it does change. And anybody that's got those things, you know that it doesn't feel the same as your normal teeth. Even dentures are not as hard as normal teeth. Our normal teeth are designed truly to last a lifetime, but because of processed foods and all this, we've seen that it's getting worse and worse and worse. Now, Let's put that into the spiritual. When our diet is poor spiritually, when we no longer care over time, generation to generation, childhood to childhood, decision by decision, an erosion takes place, and instead of there being a standard of God's holiness, even in the church, and I'm just starting with the church, the things that used to be held as values have been eroded, and now we're stepping back saying, well, the world's not like that. But I'm here to tell you, the world is not our guide. The world is not what we're shooting for. We have been called to push into the higher calling of Jesus Christ. And somehow we've been eroded enough that now we look at the world as the ones that should set the pace. And you remember what I said about that road, that the stronger the current and the deeper the water... Because the thing is, when the water's shallow, you see that current. But you get in deeper water, and you can't always see the current. And there's a current in our culture right now that is eroding our faith, eroding our holiness, taking the things out of us that God said is for us and that will protect us and guide us. And if we're not careful, we just go with the flow. And I'm not talking about becoming haters And I'm not talking about severe restrictions. What I am talking about is God is pretty smart when He says, be immovable, stand fast in the faith. Why? He knows there's a current. He knows that things want to move you in a direction that you shouldn't go. And to stand fast helps stop the erosion. We see it around here all the time. We have landslides even when there's ground cover, because what we can't see beneath the soil is all it takes is a hard bedrock layer or clay, and the water will actually flow under the grass and over the clay, and pretty soon it gives way, and a whole hillside is gone and blocks two or three lanes of traffic. But what does it mean for us spiritually? Now, for some of you, you're thinking, holiness means I can't do anything fun. That's not holiness. (laughs) And the only way for us to be holy is to have the blood of Jesus Christ. Because without Him, there is no way to attain it. It's not in keeping the rules. 
It's not in church attendance. It's not about a worship song. It's not about preaching. It's not about that. It is and always has been about Jesus, that He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Only in Him can we be perfect. But the more we stray away from Him and His Word, the more erosion sits in. And we have to turn our sights back to God and His Word. Jesus is the Word, right? John's Gospel tells us He is the Word. So when we're denying the Word, we're denying Him. And so I'm calling us back. I can't be responsible for any other churches, but I am greatly concerned about the erosion that I see in people's lives that it's almost by exception, and, and they want to say things that never li- used to line up with church values. And again, there was a time where there was a lot of excessive rules in church that were man-made stuff, and it hurt people. But there also came that movement of overriding grace where it doesn't matter what you do. It's okay. And that's erosion on a high level. I'm just telling you, church. It does matter what you do. It does matter how you live. It matters how you think. The meditations of your heart are measured by God. And the only way we keep it in check is to continue to come together to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. We read His Word not to point it at other people, but to point it back at us as a holy mirror that says, I haven't achieved it yet, and I better line up with His Word. It's not binoculars to look at a lost and dying world and saying, oh, look at those sinners. The people we got to worry about is the people we see in the mirror every day. And if we're not careful, we begin to allow them to set the tone and set what's culturally or spiritually normal, and that's not healthy. God's Word gives us everything. In fact, it says it's given us everything we need to live good, wholesome, holy lives. So I'm not calling you to some stringent pharisaical laws that we stay away. The Bible says very clearly, I've made you to be in the world, but to impact it, not to have it impact you. I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. And somewhere the church got sideways and we started being of the world. And that's not a healthy choice, not just for us, but to a lost and dying world that virtually sees no difference between their lives and people that are saved. Now, again, oftentimes we we point out the stuff that's on the outside, and as pastors, we want to talk about earrings and tattoos and drinking and all of that stuff and people smoking dope and all, I mean, that's, that's obvious. But the internal is just as erosive. People that gossip, the people that lie, the jealousy, the envy, the murmuring, the complaining is just as erosive, just as sinful, just as damaging. In fact, sometimes more because it's not seen. And when we come back to God's standard as how we're going to live, and again, nobody here is perfect. And it's only through Christ and His grace. We just talked about that. Without His grace, we would be in very bad shape. But the only way that grace works is that we own up and say, you know, Lord, 
I haven't been living like I'm supposed to live. And I'm owning up to it, and I need your help, and I want your empowerment by your Holy Spirit to live the life you've called me to live, and I'm going to let your word sink into me and begin to convict me and guide me and direct me, because if you're not, my question is, are you truly Christian? And if so, why are you in church? You see, there was a time when this this Bible was an instruction manual for how to live our lives, and now we have people that their lives reflect nothing of this Word, and yet they still call themselves Christians. And I know it sounds harsh this morning, but you can call yourself what you want, but it doesn't mean that's what you are. You're going to see it in a couple weeks when we have a team day, and we're going to celebrate and ask you if you want to wear your team gear from the Seahawks, and people are going to have Russell Wilson jerseys on, but you ain't Russell Wilson. I don't care what jersey you wear. And imagine meeting me, and I start talking like I'm Russell Wilson. You would think I was crazy. Yeah, you wouldn't believe that Super Bowl I won. Man, that was really bad that time I threw that interception in the end zone, and blah, 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 and you'd be like, What? And I think there's times that God looks down and says, you're talking like you're a Christian, but you aren't. You aren't. But I got the jersey. (laughs) And I'm not calling you to look at other people and to determine whether they're a Christian or not. I'm looking you to look at you. God's calling me to look at me. Because if we're not careful, erosion begins to take place. And we can either ignore it or we begin to deal with it. And it means some changes have to happen. So let's take a look at this this morning. You see, the world says I'm supposed to be happy. (laughs) And they choose happiness over holiness. But can I tell you a little something about God's will here? God's will will never contradict God's word. Let me say that again. God's will will never contradict God's Word. If God says, don't do that in the Bible, He'll never tell you yes through a feeling. Are you reading that? Well, I feel like it doesn't matter how you feel. If God's Word says no, it means no, not if you feel like it or not. I don't care how good the feeling is. When you listen to your feelings instead of God's Word, you're walking into a trap. Think about that for just a minute. When you ignore what God's Word says and you're led by your feelings, you're just stepping into a trap. And the beauty of traps is they don't look like traps. Right? If you could see it, it wouldn't trap you. But it doesn't look like a trap. That's what makes it so deceptful, deceiving. Trickery, one of the most common excuses that we hear to justify sin, God wants me to be happy. Now, first of all, I'm going to tell you this, the Bible never says anywhere that God wants you to be happy. But it also doesn't mean that He wants you to be miserable. You don't have to flip the fence on that, okay? If he wants me to be happy and this makes me happy, then this must be what I should do. That's very faulty thinking. Yes, I believe God does want us to be happy. 
But it's not his goal for you. It's not his goal in eternity for you to be happy. Oh, I just want my people to be happy. Something bigger at stake. But he does want you to be holy. And he wants you to be more holy than he wants you to be happy. And if you have to choose one, we should give up happiness so that we can be holy. Because holiness carries with it a get into heaven card. And without holiness you get a different card. And I don't think you want that card. So if you have fallen prey to that type of cultural mindset, I just got to be happy. First of all, happiness is fleeting. It's an emotion, just like we talked about last week. God wants you to have joy and peace that will go beyond any understanding, which means you can have peace in the midst of the worst time of your life, and it didn't change, but you have the peace of God, and you have the joy of knowing, my God is still with me, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is still with me. Now, I'm still in the valley, but I know I'm not alone. And that gives you peace, and it gives you joy, knowing I don't have to fight this on my own. I don't have to do this. But if it's all about happiness, then there are valleys we won't walk through. There are mountains we won't claim. There are things we won't do because those things don't make us happy. And for those of you that are married, if you swapped partners every time you got unhappy, think of what would happen. Because sometimes love has nothing to do with happiness. I can love my wife and be very unhappy with her. Right? We can love our children and be highly disappointed, very unhappy with them. But what happens when you swap out your kids when they make you unhappy? Pretty soon, you know what you'd realize? The only way to be happy is not to have kids. But then you'd be unhappy because other people have kids and you don't have them, and that cycle just begins to spin. I just need to get better kids. Well, the better kids are getting raised by bad parents, and then what happens? Let's lower happiness down to way down here because I believe that you truly can't be happy without holiness. You will always have something missing. There will always be doubts. And, and hang on for just a minute. Here's the problem. You want to know most of the time why we're not happy? Because there's dark areas of our lives that we're nervous and insecure about. Areas that we haven't fully submitted to God. Areas that we're keeping hidden. Areas that we don't want God to touch. And every time we encounter those things, it makes us nervous and insecure and fearful. And it's hard to be happy when you're nervous, insecure, and fearful. But if we can be fully known and say, God, you know all of me, I've got no secrets, and it doesn't mean, please, and especially to me, I don't need to know your deepest, darkest secret. You don't need to email me. You don't need to text me. You don't even need to tell me. I can't absolve you. God can. But you don't need to blab all your sins to your people around you. Now, good, find somebody you can trust that you can confess to so that you can be held accountable. But it, this isn't a, a time to stand up and repent in front of a crowd. That can be dangerous. But what I am saying is to think that the decay that begins in our life, and it begins in everybody's lives. Nobody here is immune. And to just say, well, I'll just cover it with a crown. 
What happens to that cavity? Because the crown's fake. It doesn't have any roots anymore. And underneath that crown can get cavity and start to eat away at your jawbone. But it's unseen. And the worst part about tooth decay is at some point it affects the nerve and it stops hurting. And then you say it must be okay because it's not hurting anymore. The Bible says that we'll come to a point in our, in our lives, a point in the church, where it says their conscience will be seared as with a hot iron. They will be beyond feeling. Pretty soon, it's not bad anymore. It's not sin anymore. It's okay. No, it's not. It's not okay. When we stop feeling the internal check by the Holy Spirit, that's when we should be most concerned. <laughs> If you've had a big abscess on your tooth and it's been killing you for weeks and then all of a sudden it doesn't hurt anymore, do you just say, bless God? Or maybe we need to say, something's wrong. Maybe there was a healing, but shouldn't you check? <laughs> and I'm going to throw some scripture at you this morning just so you can see what God expects for us and from us. And again, don't take this as a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not, we're not going back to the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about our trend towards calling wrong right and right wrong in our country. And it's got to start somewhere and let it start with us. If nobody else wants to take responsibility, then let's us take responsibility and say, I'm going to choose to do right because that's what the Bible says is right. I don't care what the culture says is right. I want to see what the Bible says is right. And then I'll be in God's good stead. Here we go. Are you ready? James 1, 4, uh, 1 14 and 15, here's what it says. Temptation comes from what? Our own desires. It's not because there's a bad world out there. It comes from our own desires, which entice us. Look at this. Really, that word means enslaves us and drags us away. That's part of the process. Verse 15, these desires then do what? They give birth to... Look at there's no sin in that first part. But notice that it drew us away from something. Do you read that? That it draws us away. Draws us away from what? Truth. A standard. God. It begins to drag us away. And then it gives birth to sinful actions. And listen, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There's a cycle of life process right there. You allow the temptations to move you. They drag you away. Those two things get together, temptations and being dragged away, and pretty soon sinful actions. And if you let them grow to maturity, they birth death. Now, my question, is that how you want your life to end? Did you know you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to stop it? And that you can control temptation, that he provides a means of escape. He says that we can do that. But it also means we have to be strong enough to take the escape route. And for some of you, I want to lay a little bit of, of protective measures on you. That means that you predetermine some of your actions before you get there. 
For those of you that are young and single or young and fooling around with people you shouldn't, it's probably a little too late to say no when you're in the back seat and the, the windows are steamed up and you're peeling your clothes off. It's probably not the time you're going to be able to say no. The time to say no is, I shouldn't be in the back seat. I shouldn't be out at what, 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 what a point where everybody goes to do that stuff. I probably shouldn't be hanging out with this person I'm not married to. I probably shouldn't make plans to... And you predetermine your actions before you get there. Now, for some of you think, that's crazy. How can you possibly predetermine your actions? You do it every day. You get up and you decide what you're going to wear. That's predetermined. You get up and you probably brush your teeth. I hope you do for your sake and your coworkers. You determine where you're going to drive, what route you're going to. It's all predetermined. And somehow when it comes to our spiritual life, we say, I just couldn't help it. Yes, we can. Now, again, I realize there's times and seasons where we mess up and we fall and we don't see clearly. But when we do, when the light is shined on it, we better say, that's sin and I better stop. This is wrong. I've got to back away. I've, I can't keep engaging in this because if I do, it only leads to death. There's no other course. It only leads to death. Moving on, Romans chapter 6. Because of the weakness of your human nature or our flesh, notice that he realizes this. As Paul is telling us this. He realizes that in ourselves we are, are weak. I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, that's a big word right there. What he's saying is, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, you used to act a certain way. But now, there should be a change carrying on. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Notice you're just going down, down, down. Now, now that you've accepted Jesus Christ, now that forgiveness is available, now that you have the ability by the Holy Spirit, now you must give yourself to be slaves to what? Well, how do I know what righteous living is? Read the Bible. And even if you can't read the Bible, pray. God can convict you through His Holy Spirit on what is right and what is wrong. But to say that it's all good is a lie. And it's naive, and it's dangerous. It's not all good. Look what it says. You give yourself as slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Notice the contrast here. You allow temptation to just take you. It leads to death. You determine, I'm not going to follow that path, and it leads to a holy life. And this is a process. This doesn't happen overnight, just like erosion. From our, our cleanliness in God, we are right standing with Him and we're good, but we still have habits and actions and thoughts that take time to change over. Let's go on. 2 Corinthians 6, 7, 17 through 7, 1. Now, he's talking to a group of mixed Christians. At this point, the church has changed. It's not just the Jews. Now Paul is dealing with a church very much like today's modern church. We've got people that have been saved a really long time, the Jewish pharisaical people, and you've got all these new Greeks and pagans that have heard about Jesus Christ, but they don't know all the rules, and now they're coming together in church. 
and look at the instruction that he gives to them. Come out from among what? The unbelievers. And he doesn't mean don't have any dealings with the world. But what he's really saying is you got to stop living like them. <laughs> you got to stop acting like them. Come out. And that's really what the church means, the called out ones. All right? And notice what he says. Separate yourself. There should be a difference between you and them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. Look at this. Even God is setting a standard. Don't do what they do, and I'll welcome you. I think that's pretty awesome. Verse 18. I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves. Now, catch that part and that big word right there. Who does the cleansing? Eh, not God. What's it say? Cleanse ourselves. Our choice. You see, that's part of that old school mentality. Okay, God, just deliver me from everything. I wish it was that easy. There's lots of places where he says, we've got a work to do. We've got choices to make. We have to sanctify ourselves. We have to cleanse ourselves. We begin to purge stuff. We know what this is. We do this with spring cleaning, right? We do this with garage sales. You someday walk into your house and you are dissatisfied with the amount of junk you have. And you say, I haven't used that in years. I don't know why I kept that. I haven't fit in that for, since I was a teenager. I'm getting rid of this stuff. And you do a purge. God says the same thing for us in the spiritual realm. What doesn't fit you anymore? What are you hanging on to that you don't need to use anymore? What needs to be purged out so that you can be found welcomed by God? Great question. He says, you've got these promises. Don't let these things defile your body or your spirit and let us work towards, look at this, it's a work, let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Not His punishment, but hurting Him in that relationship. Of saying, I love you, but I'm doing everything I can to resist you. It's hurtful. It seems like there's been a, a change in TV, but there was a time, you probably remember all the Jerry Springers and all that stuff, but it seemed to be a theme for a while that they'd catch all these couples that were cheating on each other, and invariably, invariably, some poor tear-streaked face of a woman would be crying about her husband that had cheated on her. He'd been caught, and he would say something like this, I know, baby, but I love you. I know I've been with a hundred women since we've been married, but I love you. And I was yet to see the girl wipe the tears away and go, okay, that makes it better then. If there really was love, then there'd really be a change of action. And again, I wish that holiness was full and complete when we got saved, but it's not. It's a work in progress. And some of the stuff God takes away just like that. And other stuff we've got to walk out of. I'm there. I've got to walk out of stuff. I, I can't keep 
staying in that. I got to walk out of stuff. And some stuff, he just took right off of me, and I've never had to face it again. And other stuff, it's there, and I have to make a choice, and another choice, and another choice. And I can choose to go back if I want. God gives us free will, but I have to choose to press forward. Or we get caught up in the flow, and it begins to erode. Now, look what he says. If he is talking to the church and says, come out from among them and stop acting like pagans, does that still apply today? Yes, because his word is eternal and his word is for us. So if you're here this morning and you're still acting like you did before you got saved, stop. Take a step higher. Take a step forward and trust God. And it's amazing how we justify these things. I've had people that, they've been living together for years, and they say, well, I don't know if we want to get married. Well, if you've been living together for seven years, what difference is it going to make? But they don't want the commitment. Because they know that things will change when there's a commitment. And some of us, we like being able to have that freedom. But I'm telling you, your overemphasis on grace of just trusting that God's going to overlook your sin is dangerous and faulty at best because we will all stand before God and He will judge our works. He doesn't just say, oh, you said a prayer once? Okay, you're good. He's going to judge the measure of our lives. And we should be increasing not stagnant the same, or doing the stuff we used to do before we were ever saved. And again, I can't be a great judge, and, and I'm, I'm going to be 50 next year, and I, I look at the culture, and I'm thinking, man, I, I don't know where I fit, because I, I wasn't in the church during the hard holiness days, but I'm also not the, hey, it's all good days, and, and, I, and I see the safety of all the rules and regulations, but some of the hurt... <laughs> But I see the outright danger of just saying, hey, it doesn't matter. And I, and I really struggle. I'm just telling you, church, I struggle with the people that say, hey, it's okay. I can, I can be hooked on drugs. I can sleep around. I can smoke dope. I can be a, a rebel, and I can not attend church, and I don't give, and I don't praise, but I still love Jesus. And I'd point you back to that Springer episode where you've been with a hundred women and say, but I still love you. And I would say there's no evidence to support that. And it doesn't mean you can't start today. That's the wonder of His grace. Do you get that? That's the wonder of His grace. I was telling somebody this this week. Other religions, they make you shave your head, sell everything you've got and wear orange and commit your life to Buddha and people do it. There's religions where they say the woman's head has to be covered the whole time. You're never going to wear pants. You're going to wear clothes down to the other. Men can't shave and you can't use electricity and people do it. And then we come to a Christian church full of grace and we say try to show up on Sunday and pay your tithes and live together in harmony. And we're like, mm, I don't know, that's kind of tough. Do you see the grace that we're throwing back in God's face by saying, I think I'll live like the world? His grace is there to say, yeah, you screwed up, but I can cover that. But that also means you've got to change. That also means you've got to admit it and allow the conviction to set in. I can't just say, oh, well, that's dangerous. That type of thinking is dangerous. 
please, don't over-depend on His grace. If you want to depend on something, depend on His Word. His Word will never lead you astray. His Word is what upholds us as His people. He will never break His Word. But that goes both ways. Let's go to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. Since you have heard about Jesus... Now, again, if you're here this morning and you don't even know what that means to be saved, you've never given your heart to Jesus, you're not held by this standard. Isn't that wonderful? But if you're going to say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to tell me that you've been saved, if you're going to tell me you plan on going to heaven, then notice what he continues and says, that you've learned the truth that comes from him. Where's our truth come from? Not the world, not our culture, from Him. Notice what He says. Throw off your old... Do you get that word? He didn't just say, shrug it off and carry it around like your Linus with his little blanket from Charlie Brown, right? He said, throw it. Like, get rid of that thing. Throw off your old sinful nature and what? Look at this. Your former way of life, the way you used to do business, you get a new life. In fact, 2 Corinthians tells us this, right? You're now a new creation, a new creature in Jesus Christ. Why are you still acting like the old creature? Maybe you never knew. That's the wonder of His grace as well. So if you're sitting there thinking, wow, I've never heard this before. You've been missing out. You need to read His Word because it'll guide you and tell you this stuff. But also, accept His forgiveness and just say, Lord, I've been living my old life, and I, I want the new life that you promised. And guess what? He will forgive you, and He'll give you the empowerment to start living that life. But if you just say, well, then you're stuck. And that's a horrible place to be. Put off your former life. Notice it says it's corrupted by lust and deception. And, and make no mistake, lust isn't just talking about sex. We have lust of our eyes, lust of our flesh, the pride of life, these things that we like and we want and we crave and we desire. And God says, but that always leads away from me. It leads to corruption. Verse 23, look at this. Instead of living that way, Thank God we have a choice. <laughs> Thank God that there's the cross where our old lives disappear and our, old, our new lives begin. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Because think about that. If you'll let the Spirit renew your thoughts and that's pretty soon, it'll be a joy to serve Him. It'll be a joy to pursue happiness and holiness His way. But when we say, oh man, that means I got to stop and I can't and I won't, you got to change your attitude. I've said this to my own children. They, they have a different life because they've grown up as pastor's kids. But I've told them, I never got to go to summer youth camp when I was a kid, wasn't saved. Never went to youth group. Never went to Bible study. Never went to VBS. I never went to those things. You have the privilege. And maybe you feel like it's a burden. Maybe, maybe this morning you feel like church is a burden, but just imagine what it would be without it. 
And you could say, yes, there would be less stress, but where will you put your hope? When you stand before God on that day, are you just going to hope that He lets you in? Or will you be able to stand on His Word and say, I accepted Jesus Christ. I have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have tried my best to follow His Word, and He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But when He says, you hoped to get in, church, hope is not a strategy. And maybe you feel this morning, man, he is, he's just punching me in the face. I hope that it wakes you up. <laughs> I hope that we hear God's word loud and clear when he says, put on a new nature which is created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Notice that that's his goal. He wants us to be righteous and holy. And that doesn't mean that you have to skip the fun. There can be a lot of fun in a righteous and holy life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8, we're almost done. This one should scare you a little bit. What has God called us to? Now, this is God's Word, right? So if you're wondering, what is God's will for my life? Here it is. God's will for your life is to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, because we know this, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. This is key. And if you didn't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. You not living holy lives doesn't offend me. You're not going against my preaching. I'm not sitting here going, I can't believe this. God is the one saying, you're rejecting my authority. You're rejecting my plan. You're rejecting the life I set before you. Not me. Because make no mistake, when we stand before God, I won't be there to tell Him what you did and didn't do. <laughs> or how often you were in church. He won't need me there. I'm going to be standing being judged right alongside you. But somehow we've thought or we've begun to act like there will be no judgment, like there will be no heaven, like there is no hell. And I'm telling you those things are real and we will face them unless we come back to a standard of holiness that has nothing to do with a suit and a tie or plastering the Ten Commandments on our walls. A holiness that comes from the inside, a desire to want to please God, and a hatred for the things in our life that remind us that we're human and sinful. <laughs> and we hunt them down, and we submit them to God. Now, before I read this last one, I want you to understand this. Grace is still available it's the best tool that we have to enact forgiveness. But the only way you get forgiven is to ask forgiveness, not to continue to sin as though it doesn't matter. That doesn't bring forgiveness, just saying, oh, grace. There has to be an asking for forgiveness, or there is no forgiveness. 
You just saying it doesn't matter doesn't make it gone away, doesn't enact grace. Grace is applied when we don't get what we don't deserve. What we deserve is punishment, judgment, and hell. Instead, he extends grace and says, I'm glad you finally saw that. I can cover that. Now we're good again. Do you see what I'm saying? To just say, it doesn't matter, that's not grace. That's arrogance. God is strongly opposed to that. Hebrews 12. We should work at living in peace with who? Notice it doesn't say people of like faith. Did you get that? Everyone. The people that have not yet been saved, the people that have been saved most of their lives, people from other nations, people from other cultures. It doesn't mean you have to like it. He didn't say to like them, but we should live at peace with them. And work at living a holy life. There's that word again. It's work. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now, who are you going to believe? The culture or God's Word that just said it right there? Do you want to take your chance that you living a nominal, go-with-the-flow Christian life, that you're just going to hope things will turn out? Or do you want to take God at His Word that says if we're not holy people covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we keep putting our sin under Jesus, that if we're not living in holiness, he, we will not see God. Who are you going to believe? I guess the real question is, what do you want? If you don't want to see God, keep going like you're going. But guess what? You're going to see Him anyway. But you're going to see a whole different side of Him. Church, For those that choose a different path, if you read Revelation, you will see a God whose robe is dipped in blood. And the blood is from the vengeance of the nations, from his wrath poured out on a sinful world with a sword in his hand and fire in his eyes and the sword of his word protruding out of his mouth. Yes, all symbolic, but this is not the gentle, meek lamb of God hugging you. This is your worst possible moment, and it will be forever. You will see the side of God that none of us want to see. You will see a God that is wrathful and says, I do not know you. Depart from me. And he's saying it with a broken heart because he provided his word, his son, and his Holy Spirit to change us. And we arrogantly stepped over it to say, I'd rather have my sin. Please, 
please don't make that mistake. Because you've only got this life. Once this life is done, no one can pray you out. No one can light enough candles. No one can do enough good works in your name. Once you've lived this life and breathed your laugh, you're going to know which God you're going to encounter. And I want to see you. I want you to hear, well done. Enter in to your rest. All that work from trying to live a holy life, enter into my rest. Because you do not want to hear, I never knew you. It breaks my heart. Holiness is about striving to follow the living example of Jesus Christ. It's not about catering to a set of rules that only go skin deep. Monstrosities have happened in the name of religion because of rules. God is not after modified behavior. He's after transformed hearts. Because if He can get a hold of our hearts, then our behavior will change. But if we never allow Him into our hearts, we'll keep on the path. You can change for a little bit, but you will go back. And I know maybe you're saying, Pastor, I'm not even sure how to do that. I'm going to tell you how to do that before we leave today. The Bible says two words, consecration and sanctification. Romans 12.1 says that we should offer ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That means we say, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm, I'm sinful. Here I am. And God says, I can work with that. <laughs> and He begins to work in us. But the part about offering the living sacrifices is that you stay alive to continue to be processed. And sanctification is the day by day of Him changing us into the glory of the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's only when we back out and say, I don't want to change anymore, I'm, I'm not going forward anymore, that we're in danger of corruption again. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was something that was set apart for God by being put on the altar. When people offered that thing to God, it no longer belonged to the one offering it. It now belonged to God for His use and for His satisfaction. Today, when we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, we become a living sacrifice. We give up our own claim on ourselves and put ourselves completely in His hands. Previously, our life was for our use and our satisfaction, but now it's for Him. When we present ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, we're simply saying, Lord Jesus, I am for you. I'm no longer for myself, the world, or anything else. I'm for your use and for your satisfaction. And I wish that it happened like that, but it's a daily process of choices. It's a daily process of choices. So I want to ask if you'd stand with me this morning. And I know this is heavy. But there's nothing more important than your eternity. <laughs> and the only way, please hear it this morning, 
the only way to stop erosion is either you got to reroute the river, that's pretty tough, or you got to put up a solid wall. <laughs> and I'd point again to Isaiah that said, what the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will raise up a standard against it. That standard is his word. And I'm not here to punish. I'm not here to demean you. I'm not here to skin you or whip you. I'm here to say, let's stop the erosion. And to ignore it is the worst thing we can do. It's uncomfortable for me. I have sin that I deal with. I have sin that I have to continually keep offering to God. I have to walk out of it. I'm not perfect yet. I won't be until we hear the trumpet. But I also have a higher standard than going back to my old life and saying, it's okay because I once knew God. So I want to take some time this morning. If you want to come to the altar, that's great. But if not, right where you stand, we need to do some heart search. Because I don't know about you, I'm tired about the erosion I see destroying people's lives. It's not the people. I'm not blaming the people. I'm just saying the erosion is damaging marriages and children. It's changing people's identities. It's changing people's future. It's... It's out of control, and it's just flooding and flooding and flooding. And the only standard that we have is the guidelines of God's Word. So I'd ask you to do a heart check this morning. Have I really said I'm a living sacrifice? I, you got it. Because <laughs> I don't know if you're like me. There's times where he turns up the heat and I crawl off. <laughs> and then I get convicted, and I go back on the altar. And you know what? He turns up the heat again. <laughs> and so if you're experiencing that, just know that that's normal. That's how He sanctifies us. Because the Old Testament, they didn't take the animal back. It burned all the way to ash and fell through the grate completely given to God. The hard part is he said, I want you to live like that so that every day you're giving a piece of your life to him. Areas that you didn't realize yet, things that were strongholds that you haven't broken down yet, pieces of your heart that have been deceived, all these things, but we've got to do a searching. So as the worship team plays, if you want to come and pray, great. You want to pray where you're at, I just say, you better do some searching. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. So let's pray.